Today, I'm going to share with you a message called Missions Advancing the Kingdom. And if you have your Bible, you can just turn to Romans chapter 10. I got a lot of scriptures for you, but we're primarily going to focus in on Romans chapter 10. And I love this because uh, as, as, as a congregation, God's been talking to us about that he's calling us and that we each one have a, an individual call to answer. And that it's very important that we answer the call. But if we, will, if we ignore the missional side of our call, then we will simply be a, a we, might meet, we might be a good place to gather, but in one generation, this church won't exist. If we ignore our missional call, I, I can promise you that there will be Thousands of people in this region who don't hear the gospel and enter eternity without the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I believe God has raised this church up in this hour, not just so that you can order your lives. I believe that is a, that is a, a wonderful thing that happens when we're saved by grace, but then as soon as you experience the, the saving grace of God and the, the power and the person of the Holy Spirit immediately, you're going to begin to get the eyes of Christ for this region and for the people of the world. God has given us a mandate as a church to be a thriving local church that makes a global impact. As a youth pastor, when I had a teeny tiny group and I was praying uh, years and years ago, had, we, we, we started with six kids. And, and most of those were our former senior pastor's kids, okay? It was like pioneering. And, and we watched God uh, literally grow a group of, of young people and, and young adults and missionaries and all kinds of things. But we, when we were still very small, the Lord whispered these words to me. He said, out of Calvary, which was Christian Center at the time, out of Calvary Christian Center, I will send 100 earth-shaking voices. I thought to myself, God, here I am back here. I'm over next door. God, I don't know anybody who sees me. I don't know what you're talking about. A hundred earth-shaking voice. God, I, I don't even know how to do that. What does that mean? And the Lord began to illuminate scriptures and show me that when disciples would walk into cities in the book of Acts, the testimony would be this. Those who have turned the world upside down have now come here. That there was a power from heaven that rested on their life. And when they lifted their voice and began to share about what God had done in them, suddenly cities would shake. I believe that God wants to raise some people up from this church who have a profound impact for the kingdom of God. Listen, you are not here to just, you know, sit here and say, man, I heard another good sermon. Man, I hope my 401k is doing well. I hope it is doing well. I hope you're super blessed. I hope somebody wants to donate a whole bunch of bitcoins to the church, the ones that are still worth money. I believe it, but there is something about saying, God, I suddenly have your heart for something bigger. It's our calling, church. And I want to read to you from Romans chapter 10, just a few verses from Romans chapter 10, and we're going to ask the Lord to just give us his heart from these 
from these scriptures. Romans chapter 10 verse 1 says this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Rome. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. He says, I have a a desire and prayer that all of Israel may be saved. He's talking about how significant they are, but he's trying to point back and say, listen, let's not forget how significant that nation is. And then as we, we continue to see, okay, God, here's the Apostle Paul with this heart. What do you do when you have this heart to see people come to the Lord? Romans 10, 12 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Verse 13, so good, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we see in Romans 1, in the beginning, he has this longing for people to be saved. And then we get verse 13, isn't this so good? By the Holy Spirit and all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you glad that when you were in the dark place that you were in, all you had to do was call on the name of Jesus and he would come and save? I don't know if that's, I mean, some of y'all are looking at me like, no, my life's been perfect since birth. Well, bless God for your life. No, I remember God answering that prayer. Oh, God, if you get me out of this one. Come on, teenagers, don't look at your parents right now. Some of y'all, that's, a, that's, that's your prayer closet right now. God, get me out of this one. I don't want mom and dad to find out what's really going on. God, if you get me out of this one, here's the thing. God is, God is really good at untying knots and weaving your story into the destiny that he has for you. That's what God does. And that's what God did for me. Boy, I said, oh, if you get me out of this one. And then suddenly the power of God came and gripped me and changed my life. And I am so glad that I called on the name of the Lord because I had that one friend who would not leave me alone. Every time he saw me, he said, when you're coming back to church, when you're coming back to Jesus, when you're coming back, I'd see that. Listen, it was before the days where you could identify who was calling you. My phone would ring and everybody used to be excited when the phone ring. Young people, people used to answer their telephones. They didn't just text. They talked to people on the phone. I know that's bizarre. But that's what we did. And the phone would ring and be excited. And there he is again on the phone. Hey, what are you doing? Why are you living the way you're living? Man, I want you to come back to church. I want you to come back to God. But you know you know who was with me the night the power of God fell on me? It was that guy who didn't give up, who kept reaching and kept saying, no, I think God's got a plan bigger than you ever imagined for your life. So he kept reaching. He kept dreaming. Man, there's going to be a day when they call me by my nickname, Adi. There'll be a day when Adi calls on the name of the Lord and he will do something something great for the kingdom that brother carried me to his baptist church i loved it he carried me to his baptist church after i had this power encounter man i was in there worshiping god and suddenly i uh, they had a guest minister that sunday and the guest minister at the baptist church stopped the service and prophesied over me in the baptist church in front of the whole church they don't even believe in that stuff 
And I, he calls me out, and he begins to call out the gifts and callings on my life. And I'm like, oh, God, you are messing up this Baptist church. And I walked, to the, I walked up to that brother after that service. I said, I know you ain't Baptist. He said, we minister anywhere the Lord opens the door. I loved it. But here's what I'm saying is that there is a time when you call on the name of the Lord. But there, there, if you ignore the verses that come after this, you ignore the responsibility that precedes that glorious salvific moment that is God's desire that everyone experience. Look at what verse 14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Now, I want to give this to you. Quickly and practically, these are things that you and I can do to advance the kingdom of God. This is how we are called to live as disciples, followers of Christ. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, I want to invite you to do what the other people in the room have already done. That is to call on Jesus and surrender your life to him. He paid the price for you, as you will hear so what are we supposed to do to live advancing the kingdom? First thing you do, just like Romans 10.1, we desire and pray. We desire and pray. It says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Listen, he has this desire for his countrymen who had rejected the gospel, who had rejected him, who had said, listen, we really don't want to hear what you're talking about. And Paul still has a desire for, listen, he doesn't say, hey, just a few quality people in Israel. He says, I have a desire for a national awakening. That's why you will regularly hear words like this, revival, awakening. You will hear words where we are praying every single day, God send revival to America. And I know for some of you that is too broad, but when I see Romans 10.1, I see a man who came out of a place who is still dreaming for the possibilities for a whole nation, not just for a couple of people. And notice what 2 Peter 3.9 says. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if you're wondering, is it God's will that all of America would be saved? The answer is yes. Is it God's will that all the world would come to repentance? That answer is yes. So suddenly, we need to align our desires with God's desire. Yeah. But how many of you know, desire isn't enough. You can long for something, but if you, if you don't actually take a step in that direction, it's never going to manifest. Never going to come to pass. 
It's not enough to just want something. And here he says, it is my desire and prayer, which is very interesting. Because the first step in any regional awakening, in any advancement of the kingdom, isn't evangelistic activity. It is actually intercession in the secret place saying, God, we want you to change hearts and lives in the areas of responsibility that we have. Desire for awakening is not enough. We must engage in prayer and look at what Jesus did in Matthew 9, 35 and 38 through 38. It says, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogue, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So uh, uh, if, if this verse was taking place in modern times, I believe it would have looked completely different. We would have had a modern minister and all of a sudden, wow, look at your influence. Look at all of your followers. Look at all of your multitudes. Wow, look at all the open doors. You're going from synagogue to synagogue. And man, everybody is following you. And not only are they following you, but you've got healings. You've got deliverances. Wow, your influence is growing. We, we, we are so excited about this. And yet Jesus doesn't celebrate the successes of the ministry and really doesn't even judge the people based upon how they leave. He actually looks at a greater landscape. He says, how are they coming? They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're weary. And in this moment, Jesus doesn't say, wow, I've just got to do more. He doesn't say that. He looks at his disciples and he says this, pray that the Lord would send out what? Laborers. And let me add this, laborers like me. That's what Jesus was saying. There were all kinds of religious people. There were Pharisees, there were Sadducees, Essenes, uh, some good, some bad. But he, he looks at the people and thinks the Pharisees are having no influence. The Sadducees are having no influence. The religious system is leaving these people weary and broken. He goes, I need some workers and laborers raised up like me. And he says, the only way that takes place in answer to their need is desire and what prayer let me tell you any major move of God will always be preceded by a move in prayer that's why we pray here every day at 9 a.m in daily prayer you and listen if you're off and you're available you should be here some of you are like well I've got an appointment to chase a little white ball in the guy's yards who are probably going to cuss me out because I hit the ball, you know, with that strange hook at the end of it. And it ends up in his yard and I end up there and we have anything. 
we have something a little less than a friendly conversation. Where he blesses me about how I shouldn't be playing golf. And then I tell him, well, you should have never bought a house on a golf course. Some of us need to say, you know what? Maybe my life is supposed to be about something more. Maybe my life is supposed to be about, man, I'm going to come and get in the place of prayer and say, God, make me a laborer like you. And so I have divine appointments everywhere I go. And I'm a laborer like Christ. But then the next thing that we do is we send. We not only have a desire and a prayer, but then we send. Notice what verse 15, it says, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Let me just walk you through a few things. You should know this. The Father sent Jesus from heaven. Jesus wasn't only born you know, uh, in the flesh, you know, just 2,000 years ago. Jesus existed in eternity past. He always was. He was in heaven with the Father, always. And while I, I'm not going to lay that foundation again, I want to tell you Jesus is eternally the Son of God. And when he came, he came to this earth sent by the Father, and in his first sermon in Luke chapter 4, after the Holy Spirit comes upon him, this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me. Do you see that word? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down in the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing he said he sent me the father sent me and then he says and this is what he sent me to do i'm telling you there is something powerful when you are when you know you are sent from heaven. I wish there were some believers in this place who actually believe that heaven has sent you here, that heaven sent you to your neighborhood, that he sent you to your school, that he sent you to your job, that he has sent you. And then, since you have a desire and you're praying to be a laborer like Christ, perhaps you pick up these things that he said he was doing, which is preaching the gospel, healing the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to captives, praying for the recovery of sight to the blind, and liberty to those who are oppressed. And what you find is, is that Jesus knew he had the full backing of heaven. And then Jesus does something wonderful. Before the cross, before Pentecost, he sends believers. He sends disciples. And, and this is what it says. In Luke chapter 10, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them out two by two before his face into every city and every place where he himself was about to go. You should read that passage and get that deep in your spirit. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city. What if the extension of where we go and where we send missionaries is all about setting people up for an encounter with Jesus. 
He says, I sent them to the very place I was about to show up. You know what that tells me? This is the way I start to dream. Everywhere I go in Jesus' name, there's about to be a move of God. Everywhere I go, there's about to be a move of God. When he sends me to a place, it's because he's interested in coming there. He's saying, you're going before me, and those people are about to see my face. And when we send missionaries to Sri Lanka and to Japan, like missionaries we partnered with last year, and other places all over the world, we we got them in Spain, we have them we have them in Israel, we have them all over the place, all over the world. Twenty five different mission missionaries and missions organizations. Here's what you need to understand: is that when we are sending them and supporting them, it's because Jesus says there's about to be a move of God in that place. There's about to be a move of God of salvation in that place and we need to say understand that when we send people that happens but when we go here that happens which leads us to understanding that the body of Christ still sends that's why we have a faith promise and you can we're going to give you these on the way out today and I want you to, to grab hold of this and say, okay, God, how will you have us to regularly sow into world missions? Not an individual missionary. Some of you uh, do that. I'm talking about into world missions. That's how we can build our missionary budget to know how many more missionaries that we can bring on. And there's some that are coming off the field and we're saying, God, connect us relationally because we don't want to just uh, go through the motions. God, we want to send people of covenant relationship, like-minded, who are believing for moves of God wherever they go. And you're going to get these on the way out and we want you to pray all week and we want you to come Saturday night and, and get stirred up once more to hear about what God is doing in the nations. And then next Sunday, we want you to bring it and you'll be hearing again from uh, Phil Smithhurst all about missions. We want people to be stirred up and turning them in this month so we can build our missions budget for this year and say, hey, we can take on a few more missionaries this year. We can say, we believe that God is going to give us that increase. And so that is what we do. Why do we do this? There's 7.75 billion people worldwide. And listen to this staggering number. It's changed, actually, in the last 15 years. Lifeway did a study 15 years ago, and the numbers were vastly different. 3.23 billion people live in an unreached people group. Do you know what that means? Here's what that means. Either there's no gospel witness there, or the church is of so little influence, it's, it's somewhere between zero and 2%. So the people really never hear the name of Jesus or almost never hear the name of Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. 40% of the world is headed headlong into an eternity separated from God. That's our responsibility. That's not our, uh, you know, the grandfathers that have already passed away. That's not their responsibility. It's not the responsibility of our great-grandchildren, which are not yet here. That is our responsibility. Most of them are in the 1040 window in Islamic nations. Most of them are. 
And there are still a few where they're developing uh, uh, scriptures in their local language so that they can have scriptures. And I want to tell you, this is why we send. And what do we do? We preach. We preach. This is practical. It says, how shall they hear without a preacher? We're people with the message. And it's good news. The gospel is good news. It is good news. I, I think sometimes we do a, a bad job of telling good news. People really, really emphasize the bad news. You know, and I, I would say that people kind of do need to know the bad news. That is that the bad news is, is that God created us with fellowship with him, but sin broke that fellowship. But do you know what the really good news is? Is that in that broken state, God moved and sent his only son so we could be restored in right relationship with God. And Jesus gave his life on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead, and all who place faith in him will be born again. The good news is greater than the bad news. You say, well, what do I share? What do I preach? Go, you should write this down somewhere. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4 says this. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received in which you stand, by which you are also saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, here it is. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Here's the gospel. Here's what they gave, first of all, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Let me just tell you, that is the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He paid the payment for our sins in dying on the cross. And let me, let me help you with a little something, because sometimes we skip over a very important part. He died for us and was buried. Don't leave that out. He was buried. Why was Christ buried? Because he took the sins of all who had placed faith in him, past, present, future, and he took them to, where, where did he take your sins? To hell. All sin ends up separated from God. So why? He was buried for three days. He just dropped off what belonged to the devil. But then on that third day, because he was sinless, he got up out of the grave. He came up out of that. And death, as we sang today, could no longer hold him. And so everybody who places faith in Christ has full assurance of resurrection life right now and eternal life forever with God in heaven. say, well, how do I receive that as a gift? He freely gives it. You can't work your way to being right with God. You just simply receive it by grace through faith. I place faith in what he did. I'm going to bring this to a close in a world where there's war. And sometimes we sit, you know, in our recliners and couches and we're 
We look at news organizations and we just simply say curt things like, you know what? We just need to annihilate that army. We just need to take them out. And by the way, there are some evil in the world that that has to be the answer. Evil must be stopped. But I can promise you, if the evil person doesn't know Christ, they are facing an eternity that you would never wish on your worst enemy. That's why when I see soldiers getting the gospel, I hope that they're not only Ukrainian, I hope they're Russian as well. I hope they're getting the gospel. I hope, I hope and pray. Listen, and, and this isn't the hour where we as the church need to say, oh, you know, uh, you know I'm, I, I, I think we're just called to stay out of that. No, 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 no. I quoted Tozer last week. I'm going to quote him one more time. A scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church. One who desires and prays. One who sends people into their calling, supports it financially, supports it, gets behind it in prayer. But then it needs also a church who just simply preaches. Preaches the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time, church, for Calvary to have a local impact, but a global impact for the sake of the kingdom. Let's bow our heads today. Don't have many, I don't have much time left today. But I believe somebody today needed to hear this message about what Jesus did for you. If you're here under the sound of my voice and you know, hey, I, I don't really have a relationship with God through Christ. I want to tell you, it's God's desire that you would be born again. It's God's desire that you would be saved. It's not time to wait. Now's the time to surrender your life to Christ. You say, what do I need to do? I call it the ABCs of approaching God. It's admit that you've sinned. You've done things that don't honor God. That's called repentance. And you believe that Jesus came to pay the price because he loves us. He died for us on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead on the third day. And then what? See, you confess him as your Lord and Savior. You surrender your life to Jesus. The Bible says when you do this, he will make all things new. You'll be forgiven. And you'll become part of the family of God. You'll be born again. If that's you here today, you say, man, I know I need to get right with God. I know I'm not right with God. Pastor, would you pray for me? If that's you, on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand. No one looking around. One, two, three. Who is that here today? It says, I'm not right with God, but I want to receive the free gift of salvation. I know that if I were to die tonight, I would experience that eternal separation. That It is not God's desire that anyone would encounter. Is there anybody like that here today that says, I'm not right with God, but pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you today. I want to help you and lead you to him. 